Great, thank you so much, Matt. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Okay, uh, I'm acutely aware that we have um, biblical scholars amongst us this morning, uh, and and we also have um, guests. So, how do I preach a sermon that is gonna is gonna sort of meet both sets of needs? I don't have the slightest idea, to be honest with you. So, I'm going to give it my best shot. Okay, welcome to guests, welcome to biblical scholars, and welcome to everyone else in between. Uh, you are most welcome, and please, uh, I, I hope that you get something out of this, okay? Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help me as I uh, speak this morning, uh, and that uh, you would speak to everyone here, uh, and that you would share with them your heart for them, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're looking at the amazing immutability of God. You know, I was chatting to Sylvia early on, and she said to me, what, what does that word mean? And, and Sylvia is a, a biblical scholar of the highest, highest caliber, isn't she? We all know that, don't we? And so if Sylvia doesn't even know what immutability means, what chance do we have? So um, would anybody, guests, like to have a stab at what immutable means? Nobody. <laughs> yes. Sorry? Don't be silent. Cannot be silenced. Silenced. I cannot be silenced. Very good, Cecily, but not correct, sadly. <laughs> but a fine effort. Cannot be silenced. Anyone else want to have a go at immutability? Who was that? Oh, well done. Unchangeable, yes. Unchangeable, unchanging, constant, always the same. Immutable, from the Latin, e, not, and mutate, to change. I always like a bit of Latin, don't you? Basically, what you do is you type in the word, you then you source it back to the Latin, you then read the result, and then you look like a scholar of Latin. It's so easy to do. I just recommend it to budding preachers. Yeah. Immutable means unchanging. So God is unchanging. The opposite of immutable is anybody? Mutable. Who said that? Yes. Or an even better word, mutated or mutant. Yes. So I am here to suggest to you this morning, which you may not like, that God is immutable, unchanging, and you and I are all mutants. Okay? Do you mean I, I'm a Christian and I shouldn't, but I do like a good zombie film? Yeah, some of these zombie films are really good, aren't they? And and like, you know, a bit like um 48 hours later or you know or, or you know some of these really good films where where basically you're walking along you're talking someone comes out of nowhere bites you where's my wife i was hoping she could bite me this morning but she's where is she there she is do we do we <laughs> but she's not i was going to actually sort of, and then and then i then turn into a zombie basically and then what I do is I sort of, suddenly I change. I can't run anymore. I can only shuffle. My arms are extended like this. 
I make a sort of zombie sound, which is yeah, and then and then I chase people around trying to bite them. That's the sort of general plot. And so I'm here to suggest that we are like that. Yes, that God is unchanging, but that we are mutants. Now, already you may not be happy with that idea, but um, well, I will try and explore it with us a bit further. Here are two areas in which we are mutated. Okay, the first area that we are mutated is we are mutated by sin. Okay, we are mutated by the bad things that we do. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you this morning, I've been a Christian quite a long time. I've led a church. I've done all sorts of things like that. And I am still mutated by sin. Yep. I'll give you an example. There are plenty. But, um, you know, we were in, um, we were in, uh, on holiday uh, in Greek, on Greece, on the Greek islands. I was feeling really happy. We were driving along in the hire car. Everything was going swimmingly. Yeah, it was all good. Uh, you know, it was beautiful. The sun was out. The, the, the birds were singing. The, you know, the, the, the trees were looking lovely. Uh, and we arrived. Ruthie will confirm all of this. Uh, we arrived at the ferry terminal. We caught a ferry across to another place. Perfect. We had a little look round. And then we arrived back at the ferry terminal. And I parked in the wrong place to get on the ferry. To be fair, it wasn't very clear how you needed to park to get onto the ferry. At which point, Ruthie was very free in telling me that I'd parked in the wrong place, basically. And she said, you parked in the wrong place. Shouldn't you be over there? There were cars over there. There were cars behind me. There was, And then I panicked, and I drove over a curb and dented our hire car. Oh. The underneath. Of course, Ruthie has to get out, show me exactly where it's dented, exactly how much it's dented. So, do you mean I, I'm trying to underplan? It's not that bad. As I said, well, look underneath. She's saying, you know, look at how badly this car is dented. Yes, you wrecked it. She didn't actually say that. And amazingly, I took it. Sorry, <laughs> I'm completely wandering off the subject. Amazingly, we took it back at the end, and I told them that what had happened, and they didn't charge me an extra, which is God's goodness. But anyway, that's by the by. And I completely blame Ruthie. I, I, no, I always shock Sylvia whenever anything like this happens. <laughs> and she's, she, she always lets out a huge sigh of disappointment, of tragedy. Oh. But yeah, yeah, I blame Ruthie. I said, why did you have to ask? Why did you have to tell me? It's completely unfair. I always blame Ruthie whenever anything goes wrong. Yeah, husbands, wives, you may do the same, you may not, you may be far more Christian than I am. Yeah, and so, and then, and then after a moment's reflection, I had to, I, I don't know whether I said sorry. Did I say sorry? I'm not sure. I may have said sorry. I, I <laughs> and then we, and then we had a straw poll. Oh, you want me to say sorry now? Ruthie, sorry. I am really sorry that I blamed you completely for my poor driving. Yeah, and, and, and so there is an example, yes, of my mutancy. Yes, I'm still mutated by sin. Uh, and, uh, and that's a silly example. There are loads of, loads of other examples. And also by changing emotion. Yes, I, do you mean I, I'm complete? When, I, when the sun is shining, I'll wake up in the morning, I'll be happy, I'll be jolly, open the curtains, everything's a great day. You know, and yet when it's raining, I'll get up and the opposite is true. Anyone else in a similar sort of 
camp to me. Yeah, depressed, just getting out of bed's really hard. It's a terrible day. <laughs> yes, <laughs> nothing good can come of this day as you open up the curtains and see the rain fall. Yeah, and so we are mutated by sin and we're also mutated by our emotion. Uh, and um, what to do is the question. What to do? And so we're going to look at a scripture. We're going to look at um, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse, starting at verse 13. If we could have, now, can I just... I don't like saying this, but basically, Hebrews and this scripture takes a really simple message and makes it really complicated. <laughs> yeah, I'm really sorry about that. My, my job will be to translate what it says into common English. Yeah, because basically, the writer to the Hebrews is speaking to Hebrews. He's speaking to Jews, and therefore, he's framing everything in terms of the Old Testament. Everything is in terms of Old Testament language. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a reference to Abraham, it's then a reference to, uh, you know, sort of the law and Moses, and there's a reference to high priests. And so the whole of the message is completely framed from the Old Testament, which actually makes it quite tricky to um, understand. So I'm going to give it my best shot, so please bear with me. Uh, we're going to start with, there are three points to this sermon, yeah? Firstly, God always desires relationship, and we often don't. That's going to be my first point. Secondly, we break that relationship because we are mutants, which we've discussed. And thirdly, God restores that relationship through Jesus Christ. Yeah? It's a really simple message, sadly made really complicated by Hebrews 6, 13 to 20. But bear with me. We're going to look at it together. Okay. So we're going to start with 13, 14, and 15. In fact, I'm going to take them individually and, and look at the points one by one. So the certainty of God's promise. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Great, isn't it? Okay, so we're going way back to Genesis. We're going way back to the Old Testament. We have Abraham. We have God meeting with Abraham. We have God basically saying, as numerous as the stars are in the sky, I'm going to make your descendants. I want to have a, a um, deal with you. I want to be your friend. I want you to be my friend. Yeah? That is still the case, by the way. God still desires relationship with you and me. Sometimes we don't feel like it. Sometimes stuff happens in our lives and we think, I, I don't want to have much to do with you anymore, God. <laughs> yeah? Or, you know, or, or things happen and we question and we think, oh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure about you. Sometimes we question his existence or we question his goodness or we question his love or we question his faithfulness or we all of these things. And, 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 and basically, God is immutable, constant. He is constantly wanting to relate to us. However, we, in our up and down emotions, may be feeling yeah just just get hold of that yeah and so god makes a promise to abraham and he he swears by himself 
Yeah, I've done, I think I've done jury service a couple of times. Anyone done jury service here? A few of you, yep. I've done it twice, really close together actually. I don't know, I thought that wasn't allowed, but anyway. Um, and what you do is you swear by Almighty God, don't you, in order to be faithful and you know do a good job and all the rest of it. And you know witnesses come up and they swear. Sometimes they're firm if they don't believe all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and and so you swear by a higher power. But of course, God can't swear by a higher power because He is the higher power. <laughs> yes. So so He therefore He swears by Himself. Interesting, isn't it? That God swears by Himself as the higher power, yeah, and saying, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to give you many descendants. For those of you familiar with the story of Abraham, Abraham pretty much tried to blow the deal on various fronts, uh, but God was faithful. I won't go into detail because it would just take ages to explain, yeah, but Abraham made a bit of a mess of it, but God was still faithful. The story of your life and the story of my life. So that is my first point. God always desires relationship, even when we don't, which is often. Okay, my second point is this. We break that relationship because we are mutants, okay, or sinners, if we want to use a, a more biblical word. And so we're moving on to verse 16. Uh, and um, the argument about sort of swearing continues. People swear by someone greater than, said than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. That is God's faithfulness, his determination to have relationship, his determination to bless us. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with this oath. Okay, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled... Now, that is interesting. I, I want to look at this word flee. Yeah, so we're, we're looking at promises. We're looking at God's goodness. We're looking at God's faithfulness. And then suddenly the writer says, we who have fled. I'm reminded of um, what Lord of the Rings and Gandalf facing the Balrog. Uh, and uh, do you remember that scene? And he's surrounded by his people. And you shall not pass. Yes, thank you, Mike, who's wording out the script as we speak. And, 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 then, and then Gandalf turns to the party and says, anybody? Fly, you fools. Who was that? Well done, of course, Mike. It would be Mike again. Fly, you fools. Flee, you fools. Get out. I'm going to face down this Balrog, and you guys better clear off because it's going to turn very nasty very quickly, yeah? Um, he actually says fly, not flee, but you know, what's in, the <laughs> what's in the difference? Flee, you fools, fly, you fools. Run, run, get away. Yeah, get away from this evil. Now, I am here to suggest to you, and this is tricky now, we're gonna turn into a tricky area of, in a sense, um, scripture, that our fleeing is not from evil, but our fleeing is from the judgment of God. Yeah, our fleeing is from the judgment of God. So I'm just going to take us back to Exodus. We have Moses. He climbs up the mountain, Mount Sinai. He, he goes to collect the Ten Commandments. We'll potentially be familiar with this story. Yeah, and he gets the Ten Commandments. He meets with God. He is 
in a sense, he's high on a mountain, all the sort of good spiritual things happen in the, on the mountaintops, and all the really bad things happen down in the valley below. And so while he's up on the mountain meeting God, collecting the Ten Commandments, the people are down in the valley. And what are they doing? They're melting all their jewelry. They're setting up a golden calf. They are worshipping a bull. Yeah, the bull is a symbol of fertility and virility and power and wealth and, and you know, all the things that the world loves. Yeah, and, and so they're basically saying, we don't want you anymore, God. You may have, you know, taken us out of Egypt. You may have passed us over the Red Sea. You may have done this. You may have done that and the other. But actually, we're not very interested in you anymore. We want to be rich. We want to be prosperous. We want to be successful. We want to be wealthy. Blah, blah, blah. We're going to worship a different God. Yeah, and so that is the story, as it were, of, isn't it sad, isn't it, that God sets up these Ten Commandments, and just as he's setting them up, they are all quite literally probably being broken down below. Can you imagine if you were God and you were seeing that, and you were thinking, my goodness, what on earth am I doing with these people? In fact, God did say, more or less said, what am I doing with these people? And he said to Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out. I just, I can't be doing with this. Uh, and, and Moses pleads for them, and, and, and they are rescued. Yeah? And so there's this idea of fleeing the judgment of God. Okay, and so if we return to this, I'm just going to have a quick look at this. Um, yeah, we who, we who have fled. Yeah, the reference to we is we Israelites who were under the judgment of God, who were, in a sense, under the Ten Commandments, who were part of this people of Israel that, that experienced the wrath of God. Yeah, we, we need to get away from that. We need to flee. We need to find something else that can rescue us. Our, our own behavior can't rescue us. Yeah, we can't be good enough. Yeah, Paul says somewhere in the New Testament, what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Yeah, is that your experience? It's often my experience. Yeah, what I want to do, I do not do, and what I hate, I do. Yeah, we often find that. I mean, I went to pick up some, uh, I've taken my youth to youth club on Friday evening, and 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 we were driving along, and and I hate electronic brakes on cars; they just never seem to work. And 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 the car froze, and and with a whole load of young people in the car, I let out a short expletive. Yeah, it wasn't a bad expletive, but it was bad enough. Yeah, and I, 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 I mean, I turned to the young people, and I said the most stupid thing I can think of. I said, pardon my French. What a stupid thing to say. Yeah, but that's what I said. That's what you say, isn't it, when you, <laughs> pardon my French. And then, and then I had to turn and say, I'm really sorry, guys. Do you mean I, do you mean I really didn't mean? But, you know, what I do, I do not do. What I hate, I do. You know, whenever, you know, something goes bad, we just end up reacting poorly. Yeah? And, and, and that is a story of humanity. We need someone outside of ourselves to save us. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does to me. So, you know, this, we live in a world that doesn't believe in sin anymore. It doesn't believe that we mess up or we go wrong or we do bad things. You know, everything's down to psychology now or everything's down to, you know, in fact, the word sin is slowly being phased out of the English um, um, Oxford Dictionary, apparently. It's no longer a word. Uh, or is it? I don't know. Anyway, do your own research. Yeah, it's all sort of disappearing. Yeah, and, but actually, yes, we do sin and we can't save ourselves and so we are in a similar position that we are fleeing we are fleeing the judgment of God 
Yeah. Do you know? Do you know? I'm here to tell you that you know we think in this world that there are all sorts of things that we are fleeing from. We may think that we are fleeing from global war, or we may think that we are fleeing from global warming and environmental danger, or we may think that we are fleeing from economic um, catastrophe, or we may think that we are fleeing from the cost of living crisis, or from you know the political rise of the extreme right, or, or whatever. These are all things that we may think that we are fleeing from. But do you know, I'm here to tell you this morning that the ultimate thing, the thing that is beyond all of that, is God's judgment on mankind for his sin and her sin. Yeah? And I mean, it's a tough old message, isn't it? It's a difficult message. It's a difficult one to grasp, but that is what we are fleeing from. That's the bad news that then leads to the good news, which is my final point, which is that God restores relationship through Jesus for always. Okay. So I think we pick it up in verse 19. Dino, is that all right? If we pick it up in verse 19, tremendous, which leads to my final point. All right, for time, let's go for it. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Do you mean, I'm sorry about the language. I mean, for some of you are thinking, my goodness, this is complicated stuff, and it is complicated stuff, and I will try and translate it for you further down the line. But talk about complicated. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. And he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, I'm not even going to talk about Melchizedek. Okay, that would be for another sermon. What I am going to talk about is what on, what on earth this all means. Do I remember a few years ago, we used to sing this song, and we still do. And we sing beautifully, and we sing, My anchor holds within the veil. And I'm thinking, well, anyone who is new to the church must be thinking, what on earth is going on? What, an anchor in a veil? Yeah, you've got a bride and you've got an anchor, what, within a veil? Do you mean the whole thing is utterly, utterly bizarre, isn't it? Utterly bizarre. The whole thing has to be totally decoded. Do you mean I think the church has gotten into a royal pickle about all of this? We're so into strange and obscure language. Anyone coming in must think that we're Martians speaking do you mind, I might as well be doing that, yeah? Do you mean, it's just everything has to be decoded so much, and so I know it's in the Bible, and therefore it's true, but uh, hopefully I'm going to try and decode this for you. What does it mean for your anchor to hold within the veil? Rhetorical question, don't answer it. Okay, so my anchor holds within the veil. Let's, again, go back to the Old Testament we have a temple in Jerusalem. We have loads of priests serving in that temple. In that temple is a holy place, yeah, an inner sanctuary, yeah, a place where only God can dwell, yeah. Uh, for those of you who may or may not have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, yeah, anyone on Raiders of the Lost Ark, Ark of the Covenant, yeah, don't open the box, you die, all that sort of stuff, yeah. 
Um, that is the place, do you mean the Ark of the Covenant, that, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark is quite good in conveying the holiness of God, actually, in that end scene. Yeah, if you've seen it. Yeah, it's quite good at conveying God's awe and holiness. And so in that room, no one is allowed, basically. And there's a massive curtain that separates that holy of holies from the outside world. Yeah, a huge, thick curtain. Yeah, and you are not allowed beyond that curtain. Except once a year, where a, a priest who's drawn from lots can go behind and intercede on behalf of the nation and possibly do a bit of housework. But I've never known whether that's true or not. Howard, do they do a bit of housework or do they not do a bit of housework? We don't know. They might tidy the place up and it might do a little bit of light dusting. Yeah, but what, what, what they do is, is that they draw lots and, and can you imagine if you draw the lot? It only happens once in a lifetime, usually. In fact, that only on one or two occasions were people drawn twice in their long lives in order to go into the Holy of Holies. And you can imagine this sort of anticipation. At one level, you're wanting to be drawn, but at another level, you're probably not because you're thinking, am I going to go in and is God going to strike me dead? A very real fear. In fact, it was such a fear that some of you will know that they, they got a thick rope and they tied it around that priest's ankle so that if they went in and they were struck down, yeah, I think we mentioned this a few weeks ago, actually, that, that you know, they could then be hauled out without anyone else needing to go in, who could then also be struck there. You can imagine what would happen, <laughs> potentially. <laughs> yes, yeah, and so... And so there's this rope. I thought about reenacting it here, actually. I thought that basically I could lie up one end, we'd get the big tug-of-war rope, uh, and then we'd have a big curtain, and then, and then you know, we'd have about 25, 30 people at the end of the rope, and they'd haul me through the curtain. But firstly, I couldn't find the tug-of-war rope. Secondly, there's a health and safety issue. Thirdly, it would draw attention to my weight, which I've already done anyway, so anyway. And fourthly... It would take too long. So we're not going to do that. But you can picture the scene. Yeah, that we've got a situation of a, a, a priest going into the Holy of Holies in order to meet with God, and they have a rope tied around their ankle and that they can be pulled out with. Now, this picture that we have reverses that. Okay, this picture that we have changes the image and says, well, Jesus can go behind the curtain. He is perfect. He is the perfect sacrifice. He can go and live behind the curtain. And then the rope comes out from him and attaches itself to us and becomes an anchor. Yeah, do you, does that make sense? I hope I've explained it well enough. But the idea then is that whatever the storm, whatever the difficulty, whatever the tragedy, whatever the hardship, whatever the problems, whatever the hassle, we know that we have a rope that is tied around our ankle. And at the end of our lives, at the end of history, when Jesus comes again, he will be hauling us in. He will be hauling you in, and he 
will be hauling us in to safety. Yeah, we can't save ourselves. The rule book can't save us. But Jesus, through his death on the cross, through him who knew no sin becoming sin, through his love and sacrifice, becomes our anchor. We no longer have to sort of try and get behind the curtain. He does it for us. And that is the beauty of the gospel. Yeah, that is the beauty of this picture. So what is initially a complicated picture, I hope I have conveyed, is an absolutely wonderful picture. As you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you get a rope tied around your ankle and that you are secure in this life and in the next. And um, I just want to pray, Lord, if there's anyone who's heard that message or is hearing that message for the first time, I pray that you will plant a seed that will grow and that, uh, Lord, they will just think about that and say, yes, I want to be anchored to Jesus this morning. And I pray that you would just move by your Holy Spirit uh, in that life or lives. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so I'm just going to have a few just, um, in a sense, sort of points, departing applications. What are they going to be? Yeah, I've spoken to those who... A second point to remember is always as Christians, we need to remember this. We need to remember that that in a sense we're tied to Jesus and that he's rescued us and he's saved us. We need to sing about it. We need to celebrate it. As we take communion, we need to remember it. Uh, We need to constantly remind ourselves, you know, we're worshipping together as we sing these songs. We remind ourselves of the truth of Jesus being our anchor. We remind ourselves of the truth that he holds us, that he's got us, that he's rescued us, that he's saved us. We constantly are saying to ourselves, yes, the world is tough, the world is difficult, the world has its problems, the world has it, but... Jesus has me, has you, has us. Really important to do that. We can get into really negative thinking. I really get into negative thinking. Yeah, do you know, oh, I'm constantly, my mind is going in a downward spiral. Yeah, something happens and I automatically go negative. Anyone else find the same? Yeah, do you know, suddenly it's a disaster. Everything's a disaster. Yeah, around my family or a situation or whatever. And, and we need to counteract with that, with the fact that Jesus has us. Yeah, he's got us and we're secure in him. And we need to constantly be saying, no, do you mean, the early church went through all manner of persecution and difficulty and problems and, 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 you know, and martyrdom and all sorts because they were reminding ourselves that they were secure in Christ. And there he had them both in this world and in the next. And we need to do that. We need to constantly do that. We need to constantly remind ourselves. And the second thing that I think is really important is that we need to remind ourselves that this gospel message that comes from an immutable, unchanging God is in itself immutable. It also is unchanging and it is explosive. Yeah, it has this ability to change lives. Yeah, and I think we, we can be in the danger as Christians of, of beginning to question that and thinking, I'm not so sure. But actually, the gospel has this ability to change lives. We are carriers of an amazing message, an amazing truth. And, and so, dare I say, I'm going to suggest, and I've not always been good at this, we need to put ourselves out a bit, put ourselves around a bit. 
Yeah, um, uh, just to earn a few extra pennies, I took up this job driving cars. It's a good job, actually. You go, you, you go to a place, a central hub, and what you do is you then drive out to these places where people have leased cars, and then you drive back some really flashy cars. Yeah, do any, I, I drove back an Audi Electron electric car the other day, and it was really exciting. Although it had stalks, it didn't have wing mirrors, it had stalks, and then cameras in the door, and all this sort of stuff. It was, do you mean, it was good fun. But what you do is you drive out as a team. And so I'm there with these three other guys, yeah? And every single other word is an F word in the car. Every other word. Do you mean, which means that everything takes twice as long to say. Do you mean, if, if I was going to criticize it, that would be one of my criticisms. Do you mean, why, why you could half the length of your sentence by just removing that word, yeah? And so basically, we then took it in turns to share our personal histories. So one guy talks about being a tele telecom salesman or something, and one guy talks about this. And then one of the guys leans forward and says to me, Dave, what were you doing before you joined our team? And it's that, it's that heart-wrenching moment where you're thinking, what am I going to say? So I'm tempted to say, well, I was a social worker and airbrushed 20 years of my history just completely out of it, yeah? But I didn't. I said... I still am a pastor. Yeah, I'm a pastor. Shocked silence. <laughs> yeah, shocked silence. And then, for the rest of the journey, we debated everything to do with anything. We debated homosexuality, we debated transgender, we debated failed marriages, we debated economy, people shared, they opened up, they opened up in terms of their marriages that had fallen apart because of differences of looking after kids. We, we then strayed into the area of gentlemen's clubs. Yeah, well, Dave, what do you think about this? Oh, yeah, so everything, everything was discussed. Yeah? And, and, you know, similarly with the postman, whenever I go into the... P I'm really afraid to go into the post office now because there's a certain guy and we have a half an hour theological discussion every time I go in. Uh, you may know the local... D I'm not going to mention him by name because if he comes along here, then you'll go up to him and say, oh, yeah, Dave's always talking about you. Yeah? So you won't know his name, but you may know him at the Shepparton Post Office. And we debate everything. We debate theology. We debate this. We debate that. Um, I met Jane. We met, didn't we? We did. He invited me to his little Thursday um, wine bar, and I went along to have a little drink and bumped into Jane, who was also uh, with a, a non-Christian friend who'd had a personal tragedy, and you were looking out for her. So thumbs up, Jane, and, and encouragement to all the rest of us. Put yourself about. Yeah, put yourself about and see what God does. Yeah? You don't actually have to do anything. You just have to wait. <laughs> and then and then and then eventually the the you know this time bomb that we carry within us we can start setting ticking in people's lives. That's tricky. Telling people they're sinners is not a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. You're trying to help them sort of identify it for themselves to be honest with you. Yeah, and spot it for themselves. Yeah, telling people that they're under the wrath of God is even worse. <laughs> yeah, and again, they have to come under conviction and come under conviction of the Holy Spirit, but then telling them that Jesus can set them free. 
Yeah, it's a process. Yeah, but we need to engage in it, don't we? Yeah. Uh, so um, that's my final gambit, as it were. I'm going to pray. The band are going to come up, if that's okay. So, um, some of you may be really, actually, a bit perturbed by what I've said this morning. Um, if you are, just chat to someone and explore what I've said with them in greater detail over the lunch table, can I suggest? Yes, and have a good old ding-dong discussion. Yeah, or, or some of you may um, take issue with some of my theological points, in which case, have a chat with someone who knows better. <laughs> yeah, but I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the good news. Uh, I thank you that our um, ankle is securely tied to you. We are securely tied to you, and that, uh, Lord, we, we uh, in a sense, uh, are secure uh, because you have got hold of us. Uh, Lord, we want to celebrate this, this morning again. If anyone doesn't, in a sense, know that for themselves, I pray that you'd help them to, to, to explore it further. Uh, Lord, I pray that we constantly remind ourselves of your goodness, of your love, and, uh, Lord, whatever our circumstance, however difficult, however messy, however complicated, uh, Lord, we will know that, uh, Lord, you have us securely. Uh, and that you have us just just there. And Lord, we thank you that you are always desiring relationship with us. Lord, if anyone is blocking that out through whatever reason, uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help them, us, to overcome that uh, and uh, uh, desire earnestly desire relationship with you this morning in whatever circumstance we find ourselves. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name.